Roses are red. Seniors are dying. And it's mostly because Andrew Cuomo is lying. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ruthless. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Well, the Variety program with a beautiful little post-Valentine sonnet. Yeah, a couple of day, couple of days since Valentine's Day, but you know, it's still gold. Had to get out there, especially after that train wreck uh, of a press conference that Cuomo had yesterday. Goodness gracious! I, you know, I, I want to get more into that. We we don't have the space today because you got an important interview, which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. But uh, but we need to do more of a deep dive on just what a liar. Cuomo is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just to give folks like a, a taste of, of the kind of stuff that he was saying uh, in that press conference yesterday, Cuomo said that COVID-19 got into New York's nursing homes because of the staff and visitors, not because of patients coming from hospitals due to his March 25th order. The one that where he said, if a senior has COVID, they got to get sent to one of the nursing homes. He was like, yeah, that's not how COVID got in. So uh, it's makes sense. It's just unbelievable. It's so infuriating. And I want to bring guests on. Like we need to cover this in a in a very big way because you know that the the media already today has begun making excuses for it. But we've got a big program. Yes, we do. It's gonna be it's gonna be a, an awesome variety program today, folks. Your your uh, first inter- your first interview, if I'm yes, not mistaken. it is. It's it's uh, Claudia Tenney, who is just finally uh, been recognized as the winner in her house race. That took a while to finalize it, but you know. One of the first meetings ever elected to Congress. It's an exciting moment. It is an exciting moment. And um, I'm excited just to, for the interview, frankly. I, I want to hear Smug Live on right? this sucker. Right. Uh, and it's going to be a good one. Uh, what, what else do we have on the program today? So a lot of really important stuff. One thing that we need to hit is the special episode on Friday. I think we're the first program, variety or otherwise, that has taken two scalps in one episode. That's something. We hit, we took the Lincoln P, first of all, hats off for the shanty, fellas. Yeah. Good shanty. Hands all around. Hats off for the shanty. So the Lincoln P goes down within like, I don't know, within hours of of that uh, going live, Schmidt resigns the board at Lincoln P uh, and all hell breaks loose. More people start jumping off. Now they can't even process donations. Like it's over, and uh, and I think <laughs> I think the ruthless variety program deserves a tip of the cap. Right. We 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 told you people that's a constant theme. We told you people this would happen. We told we, we you. We gave you the heads up. So all our listeners, you you can tell your friends you knew first. And then the second piece of this is uh, Ducklow, which. You know, we, we raised the story. Nobody was talking about it. Old Ducklow had a problem, uh, if you recall, with a Politico reporter and his, and his girlfriend, an Axios reporter. We covered it. And, you know, within short order, 
old Ducklow is a former employee of the White House. Well, the thing that was really interesting there, Holmes, <clears throat> and we mentioned this on the podcast, was, you know, they initially gave him a one week suspension, which yeah. is like hilarious when you think of the content of what he said, uh, you know, to that Politico reporter. Um, and I think what we had said on the pod was basically like if this was a Republican, they would be gone. It'd be a 10 day story, first of all, if they yeah. didn't leave. Yep. It'd be a full court press from everybody in the media to get this person fired and hey look it happened it happened it happened you know i don't know much about it other than what we reported but uh the point is is that we throw an awfully big wrench here in the uh ruthless variety program and which and- is which is all the more reason why we got to stay on this cuomo thing you're right yeah you know? yeah if it, that, that that could be one of the best things we could do is if somehow we could force cuomo out of office that would quite literally be saving lives. It could. It honestly could. I mean, I don't know how this, none of us know how COVID ultimately ends, but this cat I know is, is whatever you can do to mismanage your situation. Yeah, seriously. Governor Cuomo has figured out that way. So, all right. That's the top of the show. Here is the meat of the program, mm-hmm. as we say. Uh, this morning, Axios previewed that they did an interview. The venerable Mike Allen, uh, who I like and appreciate um, in many ways, is, has done incredible things for uh, sort of journalism writ large over the years. Uh, invented Playbook, for example. Um, is that Axios? He's kind of their senior guy, and he interviewed Kamala Harris. Yep. And what happened there? So I see this tweet this morning. I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that he interviewed the vice president. That's interesting. And I click on it and I watch this video just in a, just aghast, just aghast. It is Kamala Harris who starts with the talking point that, you know, we showed up and there was no plan for coronavirus. There was no plan for the vaccines. There was no distribution of the vaccines. We're starting from ground zero. Now, what I'd like to do is give you a, a absolute quote on what it is that she said. I'm giving you the gist of what she said. I'd like to give you the absolute quote, but Axios deleted the video. Really? Do tell. They deleted the video. So I'm watching this thing, and then I get to the point where she says, no plan, no vaccines, there was no stockpile of vaccines. And Mike is like, stockpile? You know, like what we would all think, a stockpile. What do you mean you expected a stockpile of vaccine that was literally just invented like three weeks before you showed up? And, and she was like, yeah, no stockpile. And she kind of blew right through it, which was like, I mean, you were watching her and her eyes. And I was like, how the fuck does this woman not have two or three talking points on this issue? She literally has no idea what she's talking about. She is the second most powerful person on the planet and nobody is giving her a talking point on coronavirus. Didn't update them. They didn't, they didn't update the talking points because if you remember um, like a day or two after uh, Biden became president, this was the first on background 
dig at the Trump administration that the Biden folks had, which was we covered you know, it. Yeah, like yeah, right. Like that they came in, they came into the West Wing and it was they they opened the door that says coronavirus plan and there's tumbleweed coming out and there's just there's nothing there. What are we going to do? Meanwhile we're vaccinating a million people a day. Yeah. Yeah. And no one no one bothered to update Kamala Harris's talking points over the last three weeks. <laughs> so so there was there was one million people who were vaccinated on inauguration day, right? Mm-hmm. And their whole plan, remember the Biden plan was, uh, we want a hundred million people vaccinated in the first hundred days. And in the first two days that, that he was sworn in, they had uh, already vaccinated 2.5 million people, right? And that was all under the Trump plan that had been going at that point for like four weeks. These people tried to convince us, remember they put out that big process story in CNN about how there was no plan and immediately the media, you know, I mean, they're not, they're very reluctant to admit this, but our boy, Dan Diamond, remember we reported on the program, talked about how this is all nonsense. Like the plan has been in place. It's already going. We've already got to a point where they're well on their way to hundred million without any sort of work by them. I mean, that's the thing is it's, it's completely a case of they did not update the talking points. Uh, they refused to acknowledge how much work, the groundwork for everything had been you know, laid out for them. And in every facet, their plan is essentially adopting what Trump already handed off to them. Uh, whether it's uh, the immunizations which are happening, which, you know, was it Project Lightspeed? Light, you know, I, uh, I warp, warp, warp speed. Project Warp Speed. I love you can never get that one right. I can never get yeah. that one right. But like to get a vaccine done so quickly. Multiple vaccines. Multiple. Yeah, multiple. Yeah. And then hand it off to the, to the next team and for them to still have the same talkers of like, uh, nothing's been done on COVID when Fauci straight up refutes it. He was like, no, they're not, that's, they're not. That's the thing. Zero. I think even more egregious than her just sort of stumbling around like an idiot and saying things that are just obviously untrue. We've come to appreciate that about Democrats. That happens all the time. She's the vice president three weeks into her tenure. Did she just miss this uproar? Right. (laughs) We just, we litigated it in a very loud way about how this wasn't true. Somehow she didn't get the talking points. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is incredible. It's also, there's also a a, a thing I've noticed in some of the, the coverage of their, um, hundred million vaccinations uh, talking point is that depending on who they're talking to, uh, the goalposts shift a little bit. It's 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 a hundred million people vaccinated, or it's a hundred million shots of the vaccine. Oh yeah, right. See what I'm saying? And yes. as we know, this is a two stage vaccination. Yes. So do they actually mean, a you know, 100 million people vaccinated or do they mean 50 million, vac- you know, people vaccinated, but they got two shots? That's right. And also it, it, you have to point out. So the, the Biden administration did make a radical change uh, in, in the COVID plan where, like you said, it's, it's two doses to get the vaccination. The Biden team said, you know what, we're not going to hold that second dose for folks who have gotten the first one. They said, as soon as we have any in hand, just just get them out there, distribute them immediately. So there could be people who are stuck without a second dose. Like we have not yet seen how that ends up. 
they hope to backfill it. In other words, with the, with orders down the road, which, you know, to be honest with you, if you're trusting us manufacturing, I'll put my money there all day. Like, I I feel like that's the one upside to that for sure. I feel like, like American pharmaceutical manufacturing compared to the rest of the world is so much better. Like if, if, if our bet here to get people vaccinated is that America will come through, I'll throw my money in on that bet every time. What the difference is, is that these guys don't have a fucking clue what they're talking about. Like they're, they're literally, they have a vice president of the United States mm-hmm. that went out there with a talking point that had been set on fire three weeks ago. And she's, she's looking at Mike with a big smile on her face as though she, this is just, you know, <laughs> yeah, this is what happened. This is what happened. And like anybody in the world buys that bullshit. It's incredible to me. Is it any well, wonder Kamala had to drop out before Iowa? Like has zero <laughs> clue what she's doing. There's, there is something to be said about how um, the Democrats assume the media is going to be compliant in their, yes. in, in their work to basically move goalposts and set expectations ridiculously low for themselves to accomplish goals. And then when they accomplish them, we're all supposed to cheer and applaud. We're seeing the exact same thing, mind you, with schools. Yep. Because if you, if you recall, uh, Jen Psaki, uh from the podium said that the goal was, you know, half the schools open within whatever it was. I think it's a couple of months or whatever, but it's not really half the schools open. It's half the schools open to in-person learning at least one day a week. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Talk like, about an asterisk that? on that one. It's just unbelievable. I mean, this school's issue is huge. Look, folks, I mean, if you listen to this podcast, we have talked about a lot of stuff that's been very difficult, you know, um, impeachment. We're past it. The one thing every Republican should be talking about is reopening schools uh-huh. nonstop. It's I it's don't the I, winning yeah. issue. It's the this is the winning issue in American politics. I don't care if you are hair on fire socialist, you know, um, if you have kids, you care about this issue. Yep. And so we should be beating that drum all day, every day. And one thing I wanted to highlight here, there was this really great Twitter thread um, by Jim Garrity at, at National Review. And he did this really, I think, effective way of sort of burying the lead uh, in his, his article, where he basically talks about uh, Newton, Massachusetts, back in uh, July of 2020. <clears throat> the school district was you know, struggling with reopening, as school districts across the country had been struggling with this very issue. <clears throat> And the mayor reached out to uh, Harvard, to the professor, a professor of medicine, chief of infectious disease, asking her to weigh in. Uh, the policy was basically, um, you know, six feet of separation in classrooms. Is that really necessary? Or can we go with three, three feet? Um, because obviously, you know, these are young immune systems. These are healthy kids. By and large, do we actually need the six feet of separation to get schools back in, you know, to in-person learning. The reply from that Harvard chief of infectious disease was, was pretty straightforward here. It is safe and practical to be at three feet. And this is a direct quote, very viable for the middle high school, high schools, and even late 
uh, grade schools and would improve the feasibility. I suspect you may want to be at six feet for some of the very young kids who can't mask. But again, kids can mask. We can be responsible about this. We can reopen schools. Uh, do you know who that Harvard professor was? Uh, who? Rochelle Walensky, who is now the director of the Come CDC. On. Amazing. On. Amazing. Stunning. Stunning. This is the same woman who now says on on Fox News Sunday, just just last Sunday, said that. <clears throat> quote, one of the things that's really been emphasized in school reopening is how unsafe some of our school ventilations are. She continues, that's a problem for other respiratory viruses, for children with asthma, for exposure to mold. There's a lot of work we need to do in order to get our schools to a safer environment. <laughs> Bullshit. Bullshit. But, you know, she's done an evolution on this backwards. There you go. Backwards. I mean, th this is the guidance that she initially gave were basically the, in line with Dr. Fauci, which was schools are ready to be open. They have had low transmission rates as long as we've been uh, tracking them. Kids are not vulnerable to the disease. Um, we have seen very few teachers infected. States are prioritizing teacher vaccinations. Like this is, we're going to have to open these schools. The, the Biden administration sort of like smack back on that, right? And she says then, uh, there was a, an article that was out today that actually just kind of blew my mind in a lot of ways about how uh, they took it back to the drawing board and took in the, quote, uh, understanding of uh, lived experiences, challenges, and perspective of teachers, school staff, parents, and students we have conducted an in-depth review of available science and evidence to guide our recommendations. And we've also engaged with many education, public health partners, and firsthand from parents and teachers directly about their concerns. These sessions were so informative and direct that changes to our guidance were made as a result of them. So in other words, the listen to the science folks that were all they could talk about for the last year is listen to Fauci, listen to the science. As soon as the science butts up against teachers unions, all of a sudden we need lived experiences. Ah, again. yeah. Suddenly sci science doesn't guide our decision making. We got to listen to the lived experience of people. And mind you, all of these same folks were saying that Donald Trump isn't trusting the science. He's going to get people killed by not following the science. Now we're not following the science. We're not. And and the other thing about this, Holmes, is it's not just, you know, coming from the CDC. The media is complicit in this now as well. This whole lived experience bullshit where they're saying, well, you know, clearly what the real problem is, is that we're not prioritizing teachers, which right. isn't true. Of course, that's not true. No. OK, because in Fairfax County here in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., in, in northern Virginia, for our listeners, Fairfax County, very large wealthy county with a lot of resources in northern virginia prioritized vaccinating teachers yep you want to know what happened nothing yeah the school board said ah you know what still can't commit to opening in the fall the fall can't open in the fall we vaccinate the teachers put them in the front of the line ahead of old people vaccinate those teachers and then the teachers turn around and say you know what still can't do it
But like, if, if you take a step back here, right? If you just from the education component, we have figured out how to take care of healthcare workers on the front lines, right? We figured out how to vaccinate politicians who are making decisions. We figured out somehow to run the goddamn National Football League, <laughs> right? The NBA, the NCAA, we're going to have a turn. All, every sports are fine, right? But still, one year into this, we cannot figure out a way to get our kids into classrooms. That's willful. I mean, it's to me, this is a very black and white, straight up, easy to understand issue. You are either on the side of the medical community and scientists who say it is safe to reopen schools, or you're on the side of the teachers unions who say keep schools closed. It's that's all it is. That's it. Well, and, and let's let's like let's give them the benefit of the doubt, even though at this point they clearly don't deserve it. Um, but let's let's say that there are teachers who are older and are have compromised immune systems. Oh, okay, fine. It, it's not safe for maybe you to return to the classroom. But what's better? All of your kids in the classroom and you zoom in, you Skype in, or we all stay home forever. Is that really the answer? Mm-hmm. No, of course not. Let's but, like use our fucking brains here. Totally. And it, you know what the point it comes back to is I remember that Loudoun County guy that went viral on Fox who was standing in the middle of his, his uh, school board saying, figure it out. Remember this guy? Just yeah, yeah. figure it out. It resonated so deeply with me because I can just, what he's saying is, is like, I know it's tough, right? I know that what you're dealing with is not ideal. What we're all dealing with is not ideal. You've been elected to put in a position. You are now working in a position that has grave consequences for the next generation in this country. Figure it out. It's the, I'm telling you, like we're all in agreement. This is the number one issue. Every single Republican should be talking about this. It's a winning issue. Like Duncan Holmes, both of you are blessed to have kids and families of your own. Every single parent I have spoken to, this is number one priority for them. And nothing else comes close. Number one is they want schools reopened. It is. It is. And, 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 you know, every, we've talked about this for a long time and we've had guests like Pete Snyder in to talk about it, but we're going to continue to talk about it because it's not going anywhere. And, and honestly, you get the impression from some of these school boards and teachers unions that as long as the virus exists on this planet, that they would, they would love to collect your tax dollars, pay out their pensions, figure out how to not have school but I don't believe that that's where teachers are. You know, if you talk to actual teachers, they understand that the problem they have here, like they, they want to get back and they actually want to teach their kids. And this is, they chose this life. They chose to interact with children because that's what they love to do. And we've got these unions standing in the way. So I, I look, we're going to keep on pounding this. You're probably going to get a daily dose of it. Good. I look forward to it. If anybody starts a super PAC, um, to, I don't know, recall these school board officials who refuse to open schools, I, I will donate. <laughs> <laughs> I will definitely, definitely donate. I mean, this is, this is not just about, you know, the, the, the students and the families. This is about our economy. Like, if we can't have kids in school, we truly can't go back to an open economy. Yeah. We have to solve this problem 
Republican, if you are a Republican leader in this country with a platform, talk about this issue, please. That's right. That's right. All right. So <clears throat> we, we cannot. Have to, yeah, we have to have the game, right? Yeah. And we cannot uh, let a Tuesday go by without me defending my newfound crown with Anna Navarro. Wow. I'm and still bitter about this one. Moderate Jeff. Let's cue the music. It's just music to my ears. I love every minute of it. I am the champion, and Navarro is the champion. <laughs> so just 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 a reminder to our listeners, this is a King of the Hill style format in which, um, you know, right now, Holmes is the champion with Anna Navarro. He gets his three tweets that he picks from the last week. And Smug, uh, who was our previous champion, uh, now gets a selection of a challenger in three yep. tweets. Those three tweets will be read uh, to me, the judge and jury, and I decide who the winner is. Now, and also to clarify, there's like a cool off phase. Yes. You know, if, if so I, I had previously championed Jen Rubin and given her, in my opinion, you know, completely unjust loss. Uh, <laughs> there's at least a one week, you know, hiatus. Listen, that, that Jen has to take, which Frazier, is shocker because she drops those takes daily, folks. Fra Frazier beat Ali. That's right? uh, that's that's exactly it, man. It that's exactly it. So so like she's definitely the Ali. Of and it hurts because, I mean, she's dropped so many crazy takes. The way that it works, it is, it is, it is, it is a shame, you know, that she is not <laughs> eligible, but. You know, you don't get another shot at the title immediately. When yeah, you it's get fair. I mean, I, I agree. It's it's completely fair. I have to say that, you know, it, it keeps the game interesting, too, because Elsa's just like, <laughs> Ruben's back, folks. Like, <laughs> she'd, be, she'd be on it every week. Yeah, she's a one-woman dynasty, like, of, of terrible takes. I, I, uh, but I, but I, I have a pick. Should, okay. should, I, should I reveal who I'm rolling uh -huh. with? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, the challenger I bring to the arena this week, Matthew Dowd. Oh, folks, you may know him. He is, uh, would I say, a former uh, Republican strategist? Yeah, he was a Bush. Aide? He was a he was a Bush campaign senior advisor, um, turned ABC News analyst. This guy he was also on the Schwarzenegger governor campaign or, or team. Yeah, right? he sure was. Many people saying many yeah. things happened there you can google it many, folks many people google were saying matthew dowd shorts and because because i'm not going to get onto it <laughs> i'm not talking about it on this show um but he is who i am bringing on he is he has a lot of terrible takes folks he's one of these uh you know never trump now never republican proud independence you know types you know you know you know the type folks so i'm just happy you could access bad takes because frank frankly uh he banned me well that's the thing is i'm blocked i'm getting yeah. this from behind enemy lines we've I, got the incognito window open so i can actually see his tweets incredible <laughs> so, what a, a perfect indictment of who this guy is is the fact that he is the abc news political chief political analyst he's blocked me See, that's the thing is like, if, if he blocked me, I mean, that's understandable. All right. Th there's a significant population that's blocked me on Twitter. But if he's blocked Holmes, like, wow. I mean, what is that surprising? Oh, God. Okay. I don't and he's got some takes and I, I, I brought him. He, he had some firepower the past week. That's who I'm rolling with. So uh, 
who starts dunks um it's so champion. you have champion to champion drops yeah, first yeah yeah you have to drop first you have to go first in the first round and first in the third round okay so i'm gonna go with a valentine's day special um anna navarro champion bummed senate invertebrates voted to quit trump remember he's exiled in far-a-lago golfing watching tv and unable to tweet and his only president in history was shame of two impeachments and his legal troubles are galore and joe biden is president and it's valentine's day <laughs> and that's uh, okay sure that's the tweet that sucks in general it's it's a, it's a, it's a bad kidding? tweet it's a bad tweet but what it's not mean? like it's that's not a bad i got a lot of confidence in Dowd now let's go Dowd. so so i the the the, the judge needs a clarification here far a lago what's that far a lago, -lago. yeah far a lago <laughs> what she she's saying in far it's like not not here right ah uh, far a lago he's he's away from here away from dc far a lago so she okay. invented, she invented, let's talk about this. She invented the <laughs> term, right? Uh, makes reference to the fact that the president can't communicate. He, she, she says that he has got a lot of legal troubles and then to make people feel better. Also, Joe Biden is president and it's Valentine's Day. So all of these things are supposed to make you feel better about Trump being acquitted in his impeachment trial. But here's 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 the thing. Mar-a-Lago sounds great. He's golfing, he's watching TV, he's probably yeah, honestly, in great it weather. sounds like his life rules. <laughs> and, 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 and all you can do is tweet about him. So like, you're putting that up. See, Dunk, see, this is why you gotta know the judge and the jury because he's picking up what I'm laying. I think it's, it's just weak. Can, can I drop can I drop you, you drop it? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is Matthew Dowd on February twelfth. 8.45 a.m. This guy's first cup of coffee, and then he's dropping this. Matthew Dowd says, In my view, people like Nikki Haley are much worse than former President Trump. She knew who he was and still enabled him. She could have done something and chose not to out of political expediency. The hypocrisy of Haley knows no bounds. Folks, we told you this is what would happen. We told you this is what would happen. They'd say, oh, my God, now this person's worse than Trump. That's that's exactly what they're doing. And of all people to say like, oh, Nikki Haley, she's more dangerous, more dangerous than Trump. This is this is that's, that's a take. That I made, if you recall, two weeks back with Max Boot and his take on Rob Portman. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that, that's a take. It, it's the same vein, man. Well, I watched how the judge and jury came down on that. Well, I mean, that was to, against Jen Rubin take. That wasn't that weak sauce, Anna Navarro. This well, is this is kind of harebrained, man. I'm so Nikki saying. Haley, bottom line, Dowd is claiming Nikki Haley is more dangerous than Trump. I mean, holy moly. So, so I've, rendered, I, I've rendered, rendered my, my decision. Um, so, you know, the, the Anna Navarro take is it's fucking sad. Like that's, <laughs> if I had to describe it, it's, it's, it's Valentine's day. And all you can do is be um, troll tweeting the president who's in the sunshine golfing and watching television. That's fucking sad. Yeah. Not like, a great Valentine's sucks. day. I think your that's, that's the takeaway sucks. from that. That's accurate. <laughs> it's, 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 it's more pathetic than it is good. I, I, Smug, Smug's tweet. 
uh, really rings true to me because this is, mm-hmm. you know, one of my favorite sort of mask off moments for the media writ large, which is that, you know, whether it was Mitt Romney or John McCain or Donald Trump, um, the media always says the next Republican is worse than the previous. Republican. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's their game plan. And, and for, for that mask masked off take, that's a victory for smug. Let's go. Unbelievable. Round one reversed to the challenger. Himself, reversed himself on well-set precedent. <laughs> well-set precedent. <laughs> I, no, look, 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 that, that tweet, he, this one that smug, did was 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 concentrated distilled in the crucible of takes the purest form of anti-republican hate that the media regularly there it is there it is that this this is why we create this is why we created this this program sort of like max boot and rob portman I think when you go back, if to you the ask tape, me, Judge, he's he's attacking your decision making. I'm just questioning. I, uh, what that's I'm trying to do. Just asking I, questions. What I'm trying to do is establish, like you do with an umpire, you're trying to establish the strike zone here. I mean, stop trying to work the ref. The man has issued his judgment where it is law. I, I, I you, you know, it will be in the record, uh, and you are overruled, sir. <laughs> there we go. One, one more outburst, and I'm going to find you in contempt of this court. <laughs> All right, Smug, you're up next. All right, here this is this is another great, great Matthew Dowd take. Quote because this is he wrote an entire article. This nuts, folks. Quote. Oh, this is uh, uh, February 9th. 7.36 a.m. First thing in the morning, this guy's dropping takes. First, he's up and at <laughs> He's going. We can only solve our long history of racism if white people like myself stand at the front of the effort, arm in arm with our brothers, sisters of color, and speak the truth. Sometimes that might even be speaking first in message to our white sisters and brothers. Like my, my favorite part is his take Ooh. is – to, to, to erase racism, we need to put white people at the front of the line. Black folks, get back. <laughs> Hold on. What a take. That's word for word, dude. He really said this and thought it's a great take. I love tweets like this because, in, you know, I've said this previously in other episodes of the podcast, but there's nothing a rich white liberal loves more than jumping to the front of the parade of black people <laughs> and, and taking credit for everything. Accurate. So Shit. accurate. Shit. He's like, you know what? I'm going to lead the civil rights movement. Black folks, get behind me. I got this one. Oh, <laughs> oh. God. Dowd, man. He really brought it the past week. The guy's brain is lost. I, I got to bring my best one here because I, I'm afraid I'm going to get sweeped. Swept. Okay. The Hill tweets out an article entitled former first lady launches office of Melania Trump. And Navarro without irony, who is all she tweets? Who? Oh, that's a gimme. I got this. Wait, hold, hold, hold on. Just, just, just Holmes. I'm going to, I'm going to need that set up again. I'm sorry. I need to give you a shot here because smug gave you, 
gave you a really, really <laughs> strong competition here. I'm going to need you to sell that even more for me. Yeah. So, so what I've got here, uh, and granted, what I'm working with is seven straight days. Only Jen Rubin can give you top, <laughs> top 10, seven straight days. Seven straight days. Most of this is impeachment jabber, right? What yeah. she's talking about just in terms of like, hey, this fucking Democrat is awesome. This Republican sucks. You know, yada, yada, yada. You hear it endlessly basically across the entire media. What she's trying to do here, Duncan, is erase Melania Trump and pretend as though Melania Trump is someone you don't need to think of as if even a former first lady or even a public figure at all. This announcement is about the first former first lady setting up her office. Mm. She says, who? Ah, you know, what? it's just more women supporting women. Am I right? If I, can, if I can interject, I'm going to just say, yeah. I know I have such a fire Matthew Dow take, and I, I would have won this round. I'm going to, I'm going to like Babe Ruth point. I'm taking a knee. Let's go to round three. I'm taking a knee. Give him the point. Give him You're going to give it. You're going to give it Give away? him the point. Oh yes. God. I've got a Gosh. fire Dow take coming up. I want folks to hear it. That's why we have to go to round three. Let him have it. Let him have the point. I'll spot him a point. Okay. You just okay. Mug is conceding. Points. He's literally going to concede. Let him have it. Um, That's strong. I'm genuinely nervous. I'm gen I'm genuinely nervous. Round three. Uh, Actually, can I drop the take? All right. Here, why don't we do no, this? No, Holmes has to go first in <laughs> no, round three. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah. Holmes has to go first. No, this no, is no, even no, more no, exciting no, now. No, no, no. Because you've spotted me the take, I just want to hear it. If it is as good as you make it sound, I won't even compete against it. Oh, that's a good deal. Judge, is that allowable? Are we going all sudden death? I'll one allow shot? it. I'll allow it. Let's hear it. Here we go. Okay, you folks. This tweet was so good, Dow deleted it. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is from February 12th, 1208. Dow said, I saw this picture in the news today. I didn't read the story. Was this picture one of Trump's impeachment defense team presentation? The photo was from a wreck that happened in Fort Worth. And how many people died? It killed six people died and many more were seriously <laughs> dead. Oh, my God. So he deleted the tweet. But before he deleted it, this is the best part. So folks immediately replied to him. Uh, you had a, a congressional correspondent who said six people died and many more were seriously injured in this. They replied to him. Uh Jessica O'Donnell of, of the Blaze replied, six people died in this wreck, but keep making your jokes, Matthew Dowd. Then here's what's even better. He doubles down. No. Says, how many people no. died at the U.S. Capitol? Oh, no, no way. <laughs> he said, how many people died at the U.S. Capitol? And then he just deleted it all. We folks. <laughs> so so this, was it, was it a contemporaneous event? Was it like the car crash? It was as this happening. He was no. like, you know what? It was breaking news. It was breaking news. And he was like, I'm going to use this photo of people dead in a wreck <laughs> and say this is Trump's impeachment lawyers. Folks, it's a walk-off. It's, <laughs> walk <laughs> walk <laughs> it's a walk-off. It's a walk-off. We are, are the champions. Modern Jeff, give him the music. Never, that's great content. I've never been so humiliated at King of the Hill. I mean, it was tough. It was tough. 
I mean, finding a challenger, I'll tell you what, Anna Navarro is up there. She's got some of the craziest takes. This was, and, and the thing is, I'm going to admit, this, this isn't like Matthew Dowd does not consistently come this nuts. Like the guy's nuts, but this was just like, I don't know what happened to him over the past week. Dude was best, really on top of his crazy the game. Best part about him is that like you pay Jen Rubin to be a nutso. <laughs> kind of pay Anna Navarro to be nutso. ABC pays this guy to be a political <laughs> analyst. <laughs> I mean, that was his analysis. He was like, you know what? Let's find a picture of people dying in a car crash. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think I think what we've really discovered here in this game, because we are in particular focusing on, you know, never Trump, former Republican pundits, is in a post-Trump world, there's less market, you know, there's more market competition, there's less market share. Mm-hmm. And so the takes have to get worse and worse. The volume has to get higher and higher for these people to stay in business. So totally. I I think this is going to be a target-rich environment with lots of incredible takes for a, a while. I think I so. I think I, so. People are bringing their A-game of crazy. And as long as they are, we're going to keep this game rolling. Ah, uh, God. Well, congratulations uh, are in order. I One thing, I'm going to get a ruling. We don't have to talk about it now, but I want to get a ruling on whether or not I can saddle up Jen Rubin. And bring her to the Ooh, big good po- next week. Does That's going to hurt. That's going to hurt. Week, is there a one week cooling? Like what's the cooling off? I think that's it's fair. one week. I think it's, yeah, I that's think fair. It's that fair. hurts. We ride. Can you use my queen against me. We ride again. <laughs> oh. oh man. Um, all right. So we got to get to this big interview. Smog, uh, tell us a little bit about it. Huge. Well, uh, many Minions already know Claudia Tenney. She is the first Minion elected to Congress, representing New York's 22nd Congressional District. She won this election. It was, to say the least, it was a hard-fought election battle. It was only just decided, like, I'll say two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, it was finally decided. Uh, you know, she had tremendous support from the community, and she tremendously supports the community, always, uh, not just uh, the Minion community, but in her district. We're really happy that she got elected. So without further ado, we should just get to this interview. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us today, Congresswoman Tenney. Uh, It's great to have uh, the first minion elected to Congress. Good to have you back in Congress. (laughs) We're all uh, so glad you won that long, hard-fought election. Uh, So thank you so much for joining us. I'd like to start by asking you, so can you tell us, you know, it was a long election, but briefly what the situation was uh, with your election and why it took so long for it to be resolved? Yeah, thank you. I just want to say it was like being in purgatory, to be honest. It, it just every day was a twist and turn. The reason it took so long, I have a you know, couple of, of real main reasons. Uh, number one, Andrew Cuomo actually uh, passed all these executive orders, changing the rules because of the pandemic all last year. And so, mm. many of these were approved by the New York state legislature as well, but uh, they really put a huge burden on our boards of elections. Uh, the, the absentee ballot numbers were five or seven or eight times more than our, they normally handle. Uh, we had early voting for the first time in a presidential year. We had a huge turnout. We had people trying to operate in a pandemic. We also had an online database that was created by Andrew Cuomo that had no verification. So basically all you need was a name, address, and a date of birth, which every you know, political entity has. And those people were urged through Instagram, Facebook, uh, 
Twitter everywhere. Every time you turned on any social media or turned on any any kind of anything on the internet, there were constant uh, ads to go to the database, don't go to the polls, sign up here. And you know, we don't know how many people actually use that avenue, but we think it was a lot. And the, the numbers of absentees were so overwhelming. And then a lot of the boards had a hard time with it. So Shenango County, which is one of the big counties, which kind of, I think it was um, Mark Stein, who was subbing for Rush Limbaugh, called it Shenanigans County. I don't know if you remember, they found like 12 sure. ballots in a box and they had another a bunch on the shelf. Well, the, what happened in Shenango County, which is, by, by the way, where our business is, um, and uh, my brother lives there, but it's they had a malware function before. It was like it went down in October, right during early voting, and they never had any Internet for the entire county wow. until after Election Day. Wow. So that caused a lot of the problems for that county it really wasn't their fault. It just was, you know, a problem of having the electronic issue and the voting machines, you know, getting the, the chips from the Dominion voting machines into them were a problem. And then Oneida County failed to get their so-called motor voter registrations done. Those are the registrations of people who sign up at the Department of Motor Vehicles. Their registration or application is transferred to the Board of Elections and the Board of Elections is supposed to to uh, upload those. So many of those people, that was the last batch we did where my opponent figured with Mark Elias, they'd, they'd gain a lot because it was a lot of young voters. And good news for the Minions, uh, we won by 93 votes out of almost 400 cast. So uh, a lot of the young people voted for me and voted for the president and voted Republican, which was good. And so those were all, they were all allowed to vote under the voter voter law, even though they were denied uh, the access uh, because their ballots weren't or their applications weren't processed. So they were people who showed up on election day thinking they were registered and they weren't. And, and you'd mentioned his name. This is a huge uh, uh, figure. And uh, for folks who don't know about Mark Elias, he's a Democrat super lawyer who they basically parachute <laughs> anywhere when they want to try and, and uh, uh, get an election to go their way, despite what may have happened. Uh, Mark Elias had to throw out everything that Democrats said about counting every vote and such in order to prevent you from taking office. You know, what do you think that says about the way that the Democrats have been operating this cycle? I think it's completely hypocritical. And that was one of the ways we were able to get my opponent to finally concede. So as we went through this process, they continued to want to go down. They continued to kind of drag the judge down a lot of rabbit holes. Mm -hmm. And so the judge went down the rabbit holes. They went. And every time we actually gained votes. There were votes that we gained in each of the counties. And then the big kahuna, so to speak, was Oneida County, where we had those last almost 400 ballots of people that were motor voters uh, who didn't who were denied. And we, we opened those ballots. I think they were pretty stunned that we won uh, by 93 with a margin of 93 votes. I can't remember what the exact numbers were at this point. But what's interesting about it is in earlier briefs, Mark Elias had made the claims that, oh, we shouldn't have a full recanvas. It's time is of the essence. We have to get a member sworn in by January 3rd to meet our constitutional provisions. And they were doing everything they could to try to make sure that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And then at the, and then all of a sudden, you know, after 91 days, they're claiming Dominion voting machine errors. And I like and I and we really kind of went after him. He was talking about the irregularities and the new votes that needed to be counted. And we needed to hand count Dominion and, uh, you know, all these problems. And by the way, this judge, unlike some of the judges in the presidential race, went beyond uh, procedural issues and went into counting ballots, which I wonder, had we done that in the presidential race, maybe we would have had a different outcome. But he, this judge actually went down every rabbit hole and we ended up the winner. And what's interesting about it is, you know, we were, uh, Mark Elias and my opponent sounded exactly like the, pre the Trump team, 
you know, they sounded like uh, Sidney Powell and, uh, and her troop and uh, Lynn Wood. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, we got to do all this. Mm-hmm. And I think we put enough pressure on him. In fact, I was like, how many more votes? If we go down the next, you know, we do a hand count, for example, you would go into the Dominion voting machines. And that's where people voted on Election Day, where I won by 28,400 votes. So the likelihood of having those machines go his way wouldn't have a recount probably would have favored us just because we won election day voters. And the other thing about a Dominion voting machine is that uh, when you go to put a ballot into the machine, mm-hmm. if there's a stray mark or you don't, you know, you circle something improperly or it's not completely done, the ballot is rejected. And then uh, the, the board, this person at the board of elections, you either they issue an, a new ballot or, you know, they find a way to make your ballot corrected. It happened to me before I did a write in on some race oh, a couple of years ago, and I had to get issued a new ballot because my write in went outside the line. So these machines are very sensitive. Yeah, they're pretty the finicky. Other thing, yeah. The other thing they wanted to claim is that so we had uh, a lot of hand counts. So what we did is if the machine count, uh, if the machine rejected a ballot, for example, like I explained, if they rejected one of those ballots, the Board of Elections would add a manual hand count. And we were posting all these on Twitter and Facebook. You could see our manual hand counts at the end of every day that when he was saying, oh, we're, the machines aren't counting the, the ballot, but we are. So if a ballot wasn't counted because the clear Dominion voting machine didn't count it, we added it onto the totals for both of us. So he really had no claim. And we were putting all those Twitter warnings that they were putting under the president's tweets following him on Twitter and on and social media and really kind of coming at him about how hypocritical they are. That's and I think that's why he finally backed down. But he's not going to say that. He's saying that, you know, we, we should still go in and hand count now. And, you know, I think uh, it's even more impressive, your victory, given the unprecedented spending uh, against you. There was even, uh, I, I saw an article recently, a liberal dark money group funds this fake newsroom called, uh, I believe it's the Post Courier. They had oh, spent yeah. 100000 just on your race trying to defeat you. And uh, I mean, it's a huge victory. You overcame all of that and uh, won that district for the GOP. Yeah, it's been actually every race I have is, is uh, I, I came out of nowhere really to become a, uh, to do this uh, back in 2010 when I decided to run for the assembly. I had to defeat the, our, my home county Republican chairman to get into the assembly because I, I was just a business person. I was like tired of these career politicians, mm-hmm. all these people saying, oh, we're going to lower your taxes. We're going to do this. And we're going to do that. And I was stunned by Albany, just how it dysfunctional it was. And even the Republicans were afraid to say anything to Andrew Cuomo or Elliot Spitzer or, I remember. you know, any of them. And, and they were just like and, and met some good ones. But we were outnumbered, obviously. But we had the Senate and I just they just you know, I've had so much money spent against me. I think it's a, it's about 47 million that is I've had spent against me in one of the cheapest media markets. And Amazing. the guy that I just defeated uh, or. Uh, in 18 and 20, I think he's had, I think it's like 28 million uh, between what he raised and what DCCC and outside groups spent. Hmm. And so I've never really had a chance to really overcome all the, you know, the negative images. I mean, when I was in the assembly, I was the first person to call for Sheldon Silver to resign. And that was in 2012. He didn't ultimately resign until 2015. But in 2012, he was actually used uh, taxpayer money to pay off sexual harassment victims uh, mm-hmm. in the assembly. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he, after just passing sweeping ethics reform legislation that we were going to have this all transparent and go to this new Jay Cope committee, which is the 
you know, a committee on public integrity in New York and he bypasses it as the speaker. So I said, well, if you can't follow our rules, you should step down as speaker. And every lobbyist was like, oh my God, they're going to cut your brake lines. You're, this, you're crazy. But, you know, in the end, they kept, they did all these ads when I was in the primary saying I voted with Sheldon Sp Silver. And I was like, I vote less with Sheldon Silver than anyone in the, in the assembly. But it's just, you know, it's the nature of having to fight off primaries and then being able to get through a general election, which a lot of people don't have to do. Yeah, for uh, you folks know, you, at home who, who who aren't as closely uh, following New York politics, Sheldon Silver was essentially like the dark lord of New York <laughs> politics, who was involved in pretty much any kind of corrupt thing you could do. And and uh, kudos to Claudia for being one of the first to get up there and, and push back and, and fight against him because the guy had a ton of power uh, before the feds arrested him. Uh, that took definitely a lot of courage. Thank you. Yeah, he's an interesting character, too, because he's very smart. And he he ran this assembly and knew where every skeleton was buried and had sort of a total control over all these people in the assembly. And I think like one of the things I witnessed is when he first was in trouble and uh, the New York Times had done a story indicating he was about to be indicted. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, he was uh, indicted, you know, Preet Bharara, famous Preet Bharara, stay mm -hmm. tuned. You know, mm -hmm. he's going to take everybody down that was corrupt in New York, the famous U.S. attorney. Uh, from the Southern District, you know, pre Barrara, like they they frog marched him and they all the whole he came back up to the chamber and I, they were having these press conferences and all these Democrats were like surrounding him. And I'm like, why are they surrounding this guy? Boy, they something else. He must have something on them. So, you know, he goes through the process. He gets, steps down as speaker. Yeah, a lot of those things happen. And he finally was forced out. But I remember one of the first the day that he came onto the floor of the House, because remember, the speaker does not sit on the floor of the assembly. Mm -hmm. And he's out there and all the media swarming all over him because he's opening a desk drawer and he hadn't sat there in 20 years. And you know, they were all fascinated with him. And uh, I do remember one of the funny he had a sense of humor because I remember one of the funny things he did when you realize just how much power he had over so many Democrats. So every bill that comes before the state assembly is a democratic bill or has mm -hmm. to be sponsored by a Democrat. And it, it comes to the floor and, you know, they automatically vote yes on everything. They don't vote no unless very rarely they just have a sheet in front of them that tells them, you know, what votes they can vote yes or no. Mm -hmm. Well, silver comes out, just a routine bill, you know, would be called a suspension in the house, comes up on the floor and I'm sitting there and everybody puts their green in and silver puts out, a, you know, a no vote. So all of a sudden you see silver with a red vote on the board. And all of a sudden, the, the board just started flickering red and all the Democrats, even though he was already indicted, facing trial, he still had that kind of power. And, and, Incredible. and everyone was turning red. All the lights turned red. And I said, look at this. This is unbelievable. Amazing. And then Democrats are looking at me and go, How, where are you on this bill? Like they're sitting around me. And I was like, I think he's playing with you guys. <laughs> and, I do, I think. and I said, because this is not a bill that he would be against. And, you know, after about a few, you know, 10, 15 minutes, he went back and put the yes vote and everything went back to green. Amazing. But I thought that was just a, an interesting, even after all that he'd been through, he, he still, still was cheese. manipulating. <laughs> it Amazing. was interesting. So one question so, I wanted to ask you mm -hmm. about is, um, so can you tell us about uh, Nancy Pelosi told your son who is serving in the military uh, that you could not have him join you on the House floor for your swearing in. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, first, what happened throughout the week when I found out that we were uh, going to uh, be certified and then we got certified and then we were trying to figure out the day that I could go into the house and, and actually get sworn in and back and forth, you know, everyone who had gotten sworn in on January 3rd were able to have one family member in the chamber uh, 
and in the gallery, remember not on the house floor because mm. that we used to have more than that, but under the COVID restrictions, you have to have, you know, you're only allowed one family member. So we were back and forth with, with uh, Pelosi's team and they just kept coming back with, no, he can't come in, he can't come in. So Representative Rodney Davis, who is our ranker on the House Administration Committee said, well, you know, let's bring him here. And my son actually volunteered to come. He usually doesn't. And I said, you don't have to wear a uniform. He goes, no, no, I'll wear it. I want to do it for you. I want to be there for you. He's a Naval Academy graduate, uh, commissioned as a Marine in 2013. So he's active duty. He's a company commander. He runs all the COVID protocols for the Marine Corps where he is and the Navy uh, that are associated with them. So he already, he does all this. He knows all of it. He runs the entire operation. He's a logistics officer. You know, he's very sensitive to this stuff. So we just showed up and Rodney said, well, let's, I can't imagine if we get there, he's going to say that he can't get there. Not once in any communication was COVID ever listed as a reason. The security was listed as a reason, a security risk, a security problem. Now understand, I walked into the chamber. It was me, Pelosi, um, her, you know, the, the, the uh, staff and, and that, and some staff behind me. And there was, it was empty. There was not a single person in the gallery. So it was, there was no reason for him not to come in. He was wearing a mask. I was wearing a mask. We were all, you know, following the rules. Um, neither one of us, uh, we've both been tested numerous times. Neither one of us have had COVID or been exposed to it. So that's no problem. And so uh, she just, they just, he got to the door and they wouldn't let him in. And Rodney Davis went down to the speaker and said, you know, this is really ridiculous. Why don't you let him in? And she goes, I have nothing to do with that. That's all the Sergeant at arms. So she basically blamed the Sergeant at arms. Wow. Who she hires. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, so w- one thing uh, get to get back to the campaign uh, mm-hmm. on the campaign trail, your dog Sparky has been omnipresent. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about that? He's right here. He's yeah, I called him my cat for you. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's uh, well, Sparky is uh, I, I got him on the campaign trail. And when I was running for assembly in 2012, that was another amazing campaign. I was I was given in redistricting the longest uh, district created in New York State history mm. to try to get rid of me, and I had to do a primary and all that stuff all over again in a That's general right. election. And so at that time, so I was just walking down the street in Delhi, New York, and some girl was standing there with these two cute puppies, and uh, I asked if I could have a picture with them, and she said, "Oh, you can buy one. They're fifty dollars each." And I was horrified that she would be selling these adorable puppies on the street corner. So of course, you know, I'm an animal lover. I, I bought one and the lady behind me felt terrible too. So she bought one because we wanted to rescue these two dogs. And the girl did not look credible, I might add, just, sure. just for the record. And he's been uh, with me. He joined uh, what we call our cuteness pack. So I had, he was the fourth of the, I, the fourth of four dogs that I had. And he's the only one left now. The other ones live nice long. I had two Jack Russell Terriers and a Shih Tzu. They live nice, all, you know, all, um, smaller dogs but they were great and uh, so the pack went with me everywhere but sparky has been uh like everywhere with me he just he drives with me everywhere i wish i could bring him to washington i don't know he's i don't know he's never been alone so i am kind of wouldn't mind having another puppy for him but he's a great minion though that's wonderful he's smart he responds to alexa by the way amazing amazing (laughs) um so in our preview video uh you know teasing this interview we showed you riding a harley How'd you get into that? Can you tell us about that? I'm so glad we're having these softball questions. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a CNN interview, is it? So um, uh, anyway, yeah, I don't, you know, the, another silly thing. I, I used to show horses. I mm-hmm. showed all over the Northeast and the Eighth Circuit. Uh, I was, you know, when I was a teenager, I always wanted to get back into horses, but it's expensive and time consuming. And 
I just haven't had a chance to do it. And, and one night I was sitting, it was three o'clock in the morning and I was sitting in the assembly chamber waiting for the Democrats to get a budget bill out. And I was with uh, my friend, Steve McLaughlin, who is uh, the Rensselaer County Executive now, who's amazing. You just go look at his Twitter feed. He just annihilates Andrew Cuomo every day. Sure. Uh, but he's a great, really ferocious, uh, great guy. But anyway, uh, I, we were just sitting there and we did a bucket list. And I said, you know, I'm going to take the motorcycle course just because it's a skill set I should have. And I signed up and um, sorry, did I lose you? No, no, you're right. You're fine. All right. Yeah. So I signed up and uh, went and took the motorcycle course and I passed. And then my friends talked me into buying a Harley. And uh, so I, I ended up really like it's the closest thing to riding a horse. And I, I really love it. I, I really just ride around the beautiful countryside up in upstate New York mostly. But it's really relaxing. It doesn't cost me as much. It's not as dangerous, but not as dangerous or as expensive as a horse. And I, I can't believe I'm doing it. Like I would never think of me as a motorcycle person, but it's really enjoyable and relaxing. And I have a ton of people that like ride with me. Every rides, every people ride all different kinds of motorcycles. Um, you know, a lot of Harleys, but there's BMWs and Indians and uh, you know, all different, different brands, but it's really enjoyable. And uh, it was really fun when I was in Congress because I joined the motorcycle caucus and I got to ride like in uh, you know, in, in rolling thunder. I did some rides with Harley, Amazing. got to ride with Rex Tillerson uh, he was a writer and uh, a lot of other people. It's fun. Yeah. It's I really people, enjoying and relaxing. I tell folks, if you think uh, a boat's a sinkhole for cash, you should try getting a horse. Cause I mean, that'll, Ugh. that'll really eat your money up fast. Well, I had a boat too. One point that was a sinkhole. I had a huge, <laughs> uh, you know, huge boat because I never had a camp. So I had this really beautiful 37 foot boat that I finally sold oh, because nice. I just didn't have, they redistricted me out of my district. So, you know, <laughs> to get like I wasn't using the boat. <laughs> Politics gets in the way of life. All right. So now we're at the point. I'm going to ask you the final yeah. three questions. These are just, you know, kind of quick answer. Uh, okay. First thing that gets into your mind. Number one, if you had to have a final meal, what's your final meal that you would have on earth? Uh, lobster, pumpkin pie with lots of bread and butter and a glass of wine. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. That's a pretty good answer. Um, and number two, what would you be doing if you were not in politics? Uh, idea, what, I, what would I like to do or? What would, be, yeah. uh, what would you be doing? Job, if I were, well, uh, probably practicing law and running our business somehow, working in that way. Fantastic. Continuing with my law practice. And number three, the final question, what motivates you more, the thrill of victory or fearing the agony of defeat? Uh, the truth and mm -hmm. trying, to, neither one of those really. I mean, it's the truth and trying to, to do what's right and, and, and just to, to make sure that that happens and that the, it really is more of that motivation because obviously I'm not afraid of losing. I've lost quite a bit, uh, but uh, I always used to live by the old Rudyard Kipling line that my dad, it was his favorite quote. So, you know, they, to treat the two imposters, uh, you know, triumph and disaster is that the two imposters just the same. So, I mean, it's really not about, I mean, I've lost, I've won. Uh, I just like to know if I'm seeking the truth and I'd like to be able to have people uh, come along, especially young people and young people that care about our country and care about freedom and care about preserving what we have and understanding why it's so important that the United States leads. I mean, that's my motivation in politics. When it comes to sports, though, I am ruthless and I am a I have a killer instinct that I got from my dad. So uh, I do like to win. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time, Congresswoman Tenney. We appreciate having you on the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been an honor. Really good stuff, man. Yeah, pretty great, I right?
it's just it's so nice to hear a minion in Congress, right? And and I mean, so she she's served in the New York Assembly. Uh, she's done a lot of good for New York State in general. And God knows with Cuomo there, we need all the help we can get. So very happy to see her there in Congress. Great interview. Well, and done. she and she beat she beat back the Mark Elias machine. Mark Elias being the Democratic super lawyer yep. who you know fights fights all of these recounts. So I mean, what a queen. Yeah, yeah. totally. Farewell to Brindisi. She did uh, it all without anybody paying any attention to the kind of shenanigans he was trying to pull, by the way. Yeah. 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 Huge win. Huge win for us. Huge win for the minions. Huge win for the country. Uh, but hey, that's a that's a great up. This was this is a really content packed episode. We got the game, we got our banter, we got an interview. Good stuff. We're just happy you took my title, you bastard. I mean, you get Jen Rubin though, so I know. <laughs> I doubt the crown lasts long. Um, but thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Our numbers have been tremendous. We appreciate the support. Uh, and I'm gonna wrap this one up. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line and own the libs we'll see you on thursday stay ruthless <laughs>